Genesis 4, and I'd like for you to note uh, the uh, reading of this. This is, this is quite a story. I've heard uh, messages about it through the years. Uh, I have preached on it, but never uh, saw what I did see when I was asking the Lord to give me what to say to you folk. I never saw what I saw. I was sitting there reading it, uh, and it hit me very, very strong, because what happens in the book of beginnings is precedental. It begins certain things that relate to God's people. Uh, the judgments, the matters of how God handles the situation, what people do. The precedent is there. Once God establishes a precedent judgment, I think we ought to notice it very carefully. Uh, let me give you a little illustration of that. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira, uh, lying to the Holy Ghost. Uh, when uh, they uh, stood before Peter, first of all, Ananias, and then finally Sapphira, uh, they stood before Peter with the idea of uh, putting on a little act of what they were giving to the kingdom of God. And both of them, of course, died. And there are people that do in the kingdom of God, unfortunately, there are, there are people that do lie, unfortunately. Uh, I used to ask Brother Combs, our principal at the Calvary Christian School, about uh, so many of the children that got the Holy Ghost. After they got the Holy Ghost, sometimes they didn't show any fruits of the Spirit. And I'd say to them, are you sure that child got the Holy Ghost? Said, oh, yes, yes. I heard him speak at times. I said, well, sometimes they don't, lack, they don't act like it. He said... Well, they got the Holy Ghost, but the Holy Ghost hasn't got them yet. You want to think that one over. That's, that's simple, but it's profound. And I have seen folks that do have the Holy Ghost, but the Holy Ghost hasn't got them yet. And, uh, they do certain things that certainly uh, is not a product of the spiritual life. And it's important for us to uh, be able to differentiate what is and what isn't, at the same time, not let them disappoint us or frustrate us. Because there is a beautiful spiritual life, and it's filled with honor, ethics, and truth. Chapter 4. I'm going to begin reading from the third verse. The first two verses talk about the birth of two children, uh, Abel and Cain. And it tells us their uh, type of uh, daily duty. Abel was a keeper of the sheep. Cain was a tiller of the ground. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. That's precedent. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. Precedent again. He didn't have respect unto Cain's offering. The Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. Unto thee shall be his desire. Thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. 
The Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou killest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. <coughs> and notice this, a fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. Stigma. All the rest of your life, you'll be a fugitive and a vagabond. Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. <clears throat> Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that everyone that finds me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain. Stigma. Lest any finding him should kill him. This is a very unique story. I don't think I have to go over the details of it to give you uh, the substance of what I want to speak to you about today. But I do want you to understand that Cain was marked, judged, and divinely set aside. And the reason for his being marked and judged and divinely set aside, and when I say divinely set aside, no man was to harm this man. He was in the hands of God. It didn't belong to anybody else to take care of Cain but Almighty God. He became the object of God's protective judgment. And that's a very strange uh, combination of words. Protective judgment. He judged him and yet protected him. There are certain things that we are told in the scriptures that are set aside by God for future final judgment. You read in the book of Jude where it tells us that uh, the archangel durst not bring a daily a railing accusation against Lucifer. I have often read that with a great deal of uh, awe and amazement. Uh, and sometimes we rail on the devil when the archangel has been told not to. I think uh, what the book is trying to teach us is simply that God has a set portion for those that have the stigma. And when this stigma is placed upon a man, uh, it's not for others to touch him. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. They're in the hands of God. You and I can absolutely forget and let God take care of the problem. There are some things God will care for. And you enter into areas, or I enter into, enter into areas, that we should not enter into. And that sounds a little strange to you today. But uh, let me prove to you why. Uh, I remember this very vividly. Uh, years ago, a thing happened in our movement that 
It was a very, very, very serious thing. Uh, it had to do with uh, one of our schools, which is now non-existent. Uh, the people that originated the school in Tulsa were a Williams, C.P. Williams and his family. C.P. Williams and Mary Williams were tremendous people. I don't know if there's anybody here that remembers the Williams. If you would, would you raise your hand? But I'm told there's numbers of people here. As a young evangelist, <coughs> my wife and I, we uh, oftentimes preached in the West Tulsa Church. Uh, Brother Williams was a very strict man. He didn't believe in drinking coffee. I sat across the table one day with uh, uh, Brother George Glass Jr. and the former uh, uh, former president of the uh, publishing company, one of the first ones, Theodore Dungan, who later got himself in serious trouble. And Brother Williams ordered milk, and Brother uh, Dungan ordered coffee. And when he saw him get milk, he said, I suppose you're one of those sanctifieds that don't believe in drinking coffee. He never should have said that. Brother Glass looked that mean I looked at him and I thought, here it comes. And friend, it came. He said that he would sell his soul for a cup of coffee and go down to hell to drink it. And Duncan just acted like somebody hit him with a right cross. And then he lit in to him about his appetite all this. And you have to know the Williams. If they told you they believed something, friend, they believed it. They did not believe in doctors. And they had an accident where they were torn up badly. They never went to a hospital. They actually, <clears throat> Sister Williams had a broken jaw, lacerations that were terrible, a broken arm. They never went to the doctor. They trusted in God. She was deformed from it. The healing caused the deformation of the body. That's how strong they were. This man got cancer of his nose. And if you saw him in the late days of his life, that cancer ate a hole in his face. And he had to cover it with uh, covering. And when you saw it, it would almost make you sick to look at him. One, at one era of their leadership, and by the way, there are outstanding people in the United Pentecostal Church that came out of that school. They're in the missionary field. They're in the ministry. They have strength. They're not easily defeated. They're people of strength. They put that strength in them. One, uh, at one era of their leadership, they were voted out after the merger, and it didn't set well with the elder Williams. It caused a fracas between the district and the Williams. There was an issue that rose about uh, British Israelism. He was very opposed to it, which we still are today. But he took a very adamant position of non-forgiveness. And we were given the authority by Brother, uh, our general superintendent, uh, that uh, was a very strong man in regard to matters that pertain to righteousness, holiness, and other very outstanding things about uh, the doctrines that we love and believe. He told the 
Board of Christian Education to mediate the problem between uh, the district and Brother Williams. And we did. For hours we sat and tried to reconcile them. Uh, Sister Williams and John David Williams, they said that they would uh, forget the past. We couldn't get any reconciliation, so we said, let's forget the past and start a new page. We prayed for hours. Old Brother Williams stood up and when we asked him about forgetting the past, I can still see the shaking of that head. He was not. No, sir. They were gonna, they were gonna ask forgiveness. They were gonna be the ones that knelt down and said, I'm the wrong one. And, uh, he would not forget. He refused to forget. The result of it was that the school deteriorated. The Williams health deteriorated. I'm sad to say this today. There is no school there. The church at one time was a powerhouse and the whole fellowship of the oneness people has dispersed. It's sad to look at it. All because one person could not forgive. I God help us. Lord God has to help us. And the spirit of forgiveness. In this story, there is a repetition of this. Cain's worship was not acceptable. He did something that God would not receive. I want to establish a position here. Truth is important. Having an acceptable sacrifice before God is important. Your doctrinal position as a church is important. Our position as the people of God is important. Our position in regard to the standards of holiness is important. I want to repeat that to you. There's two things that set us apart from every denominational group. It's our doctrine of the oneness of God, baptism in Jesus' name, and our position on holiness. It sets us apart. And through the years, it is a very, very marked thing that when you look at what is taking place in our movement today, we have young preachers coming up that are strong in the faith. And then we have others that look at other pastors and say, hey, maybe we're too strict. Maybe we are too standoffish. Sometimes we can be too standoffish. That's one of our problems because we don't have to be afraid of anybody if you have the truth. But they say, I think I'll move over in another area and try some of this charismatic position. Well, really, there is no basic foundation in it. And let me put it down for you or say it for you and you mark it down. I prophesy wrong and years to come you can say the prophet was not correct I prophesy that anything that does not have a sound foundation of an acceptable worship to God which involves doctrine and worship will not live it will die and it may be that uh, there may be some preservation of what is a part of it but God sets it aside for his personal judgment Actually, you and I don't have to do anything 
about people who leave the truth. Now you say, what do you mean? If it's in your church, you have to do something if they're trying to sow some false doctrine in the church. But when they, when they go out, you don't have to do anything about it. God will take care of it. Cain brought his sacrifice. It wasn't acceptable. There is something that is said to him by the Lord, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted, and if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And then Cain talks to Abel, about it, and in the envy that is sequential to what took place, he slays his brother. Innocent blood cried out from the ground for vengeance. And God took care of the cry of Abel's blood. Anything innocent that dies has a cry before God. And he will avenge innocent blood. And so Cain was given the stigma of being a fugitive and a vagabond, and he was given the stigma of a mark, so that everybody that saw him knew that he had not pleased God. Times change. People change. But Precedent regarding the truth of God never changes. There are alterable conditions amongst people. There are alterable conditions through time. But there are some things that never change. Thy truth, O Lord, is forever settled in heaven. It will never change. Not with the fashions. It won't change with the thinking of philosophers. It won't change with some of the approaches of man. Truth remains absolute. And it will not change. Because in the omniscience of God, he has already established the foundation of truth. And if we do not come along with the kind of worship that's acceptable to him, we will be rejected. The unhappiness of an incorrect worship finally comes to a point of frustrated and serious purpose of destruction upon those that you may have left or gone from. Cain became wroth. His countenance fell. The sign of a fallen countenance is unhappiness. And it turned into wrath and hatred. And the divine question in verse 7 is a question that you and I should consider very carefully. And that is, if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door.
I want to say to you, uh, precious brethren that sit here today, I don't think there's a man in here that does not know what the truth of God is from the standpoint of what we teach and preach. If you have any Trinitarian persuasion in your system, you have not received the truth. If you have any leanings toward Trinitarianism worship, you have not received the truth. Now, what I'm going to say may sound very strange to you. If they announced tonight that uh, Oral Roberts was in the executive inn and I was here and I wanted to go just out of curiosity to see what Oral Roberts was doing, I would not go. Now, that's pretty strong. You say, why wouldn't you go? I don't think he has anything to add to what we know about the Lord God Almighty. Now, whether you agree with that or not, that's my position, and you can do with it what you want. But I want you to understand something. That once you, by actions that are not acceptable to God, take your wrath out on people who have been accepted of God, you have a stigma once you go away from the truth, God marks you. Let me make that very clear. Once you leave the truth, the Bible calls it another word, reprobation. The worst thing a man can do or a person can do is go away from revealed scriptural truth given by the Holy Ghost. Now you say, how do you know all this is true? Well, the Bible tells us that when he, the spirit of the comforter, shall come, he shall lead you and guide you into all truth. The Holy Ghost knows what the truth is. You say, how does the Holy Ghost know what the truth is? Men of God in olden days spake as they were moved by what? The Holy Ghost the Holy Ghost moved men to speak this truth. So when the Holy Ghost comes into your life, it tells us in the book of John that it will speak of the things concerning Jesus. So that when the Holy Ghost comes, Jesus is glorified in your life. What amazes me about Trinitarian circles is the fact that I do believe many of them receive the Holy Ghost, but they refuse to renounce traditional positions. They refuse to come out of tradition and by so doing remain in a situation where they will not be led by the Spirit of God. If you get the Spirit of God in you as sure as I stand here, He will lead you and guide you into all truths. When this man came, when he slew his brother, and when the Lord God said, you'll be a fugitive and vagabond, that's part of the stigma. The other part is that he mocked him so that every man would know him. And the humiliating justice that God places upon a man who is in his hand, no man can destroy, but the Lord's justice is humiliating. It's humiliating because you will never be what you could be. There are 
bonds of God that he places around people. You will never rise above it. I don't care if you have a hundred thousand as a crowd. You'll never rise above the stigma. And anything you attempt to do will never be truly successful. It'll finally fall apart. But there is a doctrine that the Bible teaches. And Paul said something about it. No other man can lay any other doctrine but that which is Jesus Christ our Lord. And that he is the foundation. And that he built upon it. And that other man would build upon what he built upon. So that it would become a certain sound, strong structure of faith. <laughs> Let me put a little identification upon our people at this point. We are now being looked at by all kinds of denominational people from the standpoint of doctrine and our separate position from the world. I hope I can make you understand separatism as it should be. Separation doesn't mean you walk into a closet, close the door and say, don't touch me. Doesn't mean that. It means that you walk in the kind of world you live in and you still maintain your position. Jesus said it in his prayer. He said, uh, about those that belong to him, he said, keep them from evil. They are of this world, but they are not of the world. I like it. They are of this world, but they are not of the world. Meaning that they live here, but they're not part of the structure. Keep them from evil. I interpret that to mean that you can live in this world clean, holy, and upright. Rub shoulders with anything that you run into and still maintain a steady course. Paul said, see then that you walk circumspectly. Take that word and read it someday. Uh, or take it apart and define it someday. Circumspectly means to walk straight while you look around you. Live in a world that you know is evil, looking around you, but never get caught in its vices. Keep on walking with God. And don't let it deter you. Don't let the success of so-called pseudo-Pentecostals turn your head. Don't let them turn your head. God has a revival for the truth. And he's going to purge everything that's not of him. And he'll set them aside with a mother. And you and I need to hold on to the truth. And we need to walk right through the whole confusion of thinking and philosophy and never let down on what God has revealed unto us. If you let down, there's a stigma. God will mock you with it. And I'm going to make it very clear to you, I've lived long enough to watch some fugitives and vagabonds. I'm not going to call them by their last names. I'm going to call them by their first names. I watched one of the greatest men that ever came into the Pentecostal movement, preacher extraordinary. Someone would always ask me, did this man really believe the truth? Yes, he did. He really did. He taught the people the truth. He taught them so strong that when he went bad, they didn't follow him. That's the truth. 
and be called by his first name, Ray. They didn't follow him. I was in a position where I watched it. He was very gifted, very tremendously able. Very few that could compare to him that have come along through the times of this Pentecostal effusion. This man, I watched him go into other areas of so-called uh, religious work. He's become a millionaire through what he's doing. But talk to him sometime about it. We sat down at a, uh, a luncheon table, my son and I, one day, and I uh, didn't expect this from Nathaniel, but he asked him some very direct questions. He said, do you still believe in the oneness of God? He said, there is no other doctrine. Why don't you preach it? It's the visit. He's willing to settle for an unacceptable worship. And he's stigmatized. He has no place of friendship with anybody. He's a fugitive and a vagabond from God. He's a wanderer. Thank God. Thank God for the truth. It doesn't matter how few you have. And let me say it to you in this light so you don't misunderstand me. Sometimes the few people we have as preachers, pastors, ministers is our fault because of our little vision. Secondly, it's our fault because we are so stinking mean. And when it comes to dealing with people, we like to shred them and have them for breakfast as shredded wheat. You know, we will fix them. I've heard preachers brag through the years. You watch me at work. I'll take care of these folks. And I've watched some of them at work. And somebody asked me one day, what did you learn from the man? I said, I learned what the Proverbs said. Learn not the way of the oppressor. There is a truth that should have emanated from our heart the deepest kind of compassion for people. And if God saves a man from sin and brings him into the church and you have oversight over him, you should do everything, I should do everything to keep that man walking with God. Now, he may not like you, but everybody doesn't like you. Everybody doesn't like me. Isn't that a shame? But, you know, we get that kind of feeling. We are so nice that everybody should like us. And uh, you can't be a pastor, a preacher, without making some kind of an enemy. Brother Yance, you can't be an official without making some kind of an enemy. And uh, if you stand on any kind of an ethical truth and stand for it, somebody is going to be hit. And when they're hit, you know, you're the man that caused them to feel the way they felt. This is part of it. It's interesting, since I've been general superintendent to get several letters from people I didn't even know, and they'd tell me in the letters, we did not like you, but God has put love in our hearts for you. And I thank God for his love. Praise God. Oh, it's interesting. I know another man. His first name was Arthur. Arthur had a ministry that was second to none. You talk about abilities. The abilities ran out of this man's uh, very being. 
he was a man of tremendous ability and preacher, organizer. I spent 12 hours one night sitting with him, begging him not to go the direction he was going. He was the best man at my wedding. He was a personal friend. He started that work in Madison, brother. Yeah. And uh, when he started going the other way, let me tell you his thinking. He didn't like clapping other hands. He didn't like uh, manifestations of uh, the Spirit. He told anybody that, he told uh, preachers that anybody that danced in the Spirit of God excited in the Pentecostal meeting was immoral. He said, when you can't control your emotions, you're immoral. Well, that's going a long way to say something of that nature when the scripture talks about uh, great demonstrations of the Holy Ghost in many ways. I read about the United Pentecostal Church and it's growing. I made a mistake. I never should have gone the way I did. I am an unhappy man. I have ascended to the heights in the secular world, but there's no inner fulfillment. Stigmatized, judged, set aside for divine recognition. There's another man who uh, I didn't know personally, but my dad used to talk about him, and I'll give you the full name. William Booth Clifton. Have you ever sung the song down from the glory? Those words are fantastic. They're just absolutely fantastic. You read those words. You talk about a revelation of who God is. Without reluctance, flesh and blood his substance, he took the form of man, revealed the hidden plan. Oh, glorious mystery! sacrifice of Calvary and now I know thou art the great I am it's powerful down from his glory ever living story my God and Savior came and Jesus was his name born in a manger to his own stranger a man of sorrow grief and agony oh how I love him how I adore him he gave up that truth. He became a vagabond and a fugitive. I want you to know he preached for the Presbyterian. He preached for the Baptist. I heard uh, one of our men say, I listened to the man preach one night, brothers, and I never heard such preaching in my life. He had no home in this world religiously. The Presbyterians used him for the ability that he had, but would not give him credentials. The Baptist used him, would not give him credentials. Because they knew that down in his heart, he was a one God preacher. He wasn't with us, he wasn't with them. A fugitive and a vagabond set aside for divine retribution. He was an Olympic swimmer. He played violin in the London uh, Symphony Orchestra. He was the grandson of General Booth. If you were uh, 
if you were uh, a man and you married one of the general's daughters, you have to take the general's name. So William Booth Clifford was the product of a father who married one of the general's daughters. Hence, William Booth Clifford. My dad was interested in one of the daughters, and when they asked him to take the general's name if he married the daughter, he said, bye-bye. A little bit on the stubborn side. Uh, what is interesting about all that is this, that this man, my dad used to tell me, was one of the greatest orators that he ever saw in his lifetime or heard said he was a man of great abilities and would spellbind the crowd. He said he was a great preacher. But he couldn't take the little crowds and he took off out of the oneness movement. And I, I met him two years before he died. Brother Rose and Brother John Clement and I found his address in uh, Portland, Oregon. We went to his home. i tell you what, it was a little cool day in Oregon, that rain and the cold. We had overcoats on and a hat, and we all came up to his door. We looked like the mafia, or, the, or maybe the IRS, and he looked at us out of the window of his door for a while. He was hesitant to open the door, especially with Brother Rose standing there with that big coat and that big hat. Finally, he let us in. We walked into his room, his whole room, his parlor, his dining room, kitchen. On the walls were pictures of early Pentecost. I saw pictures of people that I knew and pictures of people I didn't know. I asked him if we could have those pictures. He said, never. And he died. I don't know whatever happened to those treasures. They would have been great treasures for us because he talked about what took place in those early days. He said something to me that day that I'll never forget. He looked at me and uh, he said, you still preach baptism in Jesus' name? I said, oh, yes. And uh, he quoted Acts 2.38 and said it was to the Jews only. And, of course, I asked him about Cornelius' house. He grinned and still contended. Where we caught him was we took him to Romans 6, baptized into the likeness of his death, arising to walk in newness of life in the likeness of his resurrection. He slapped me across the face in a big hand. He, he, he slapped me hard. It was a, it was a gesture kindness, but it's rather hard kindness. <laughs> he slapped me across the face and said, just like your dad. He couldn't have paid me a bigger compliment than this one when he said that because he was saying, you folks never leave your position. And I looked at him and said, where are you now in regard to who you fellowship with? He said, somebody. A fugitive and a vagabond. Nobody wanted him. Hey, friend, when you get on this wagon of truth, don't you ever leave it. It identifies you. Not only does it identify you, it identifies you, it makes you. You're sitting here today and saying, look what we are, look where we've come from. Why did you come from that? Not because of your winsome personality. My God, help us. 
It is not because of that. It's because of the truth. We are what we are. It's an unshakable truth. They cannot destroy them. Let them destroy them. Let them call us a cow. They will never be able. They will never be able to destroy what we stand for. It is as solid as the most solid rock upon this rock that I build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail. And if you get the stigma, friend, you'll wander and be a fugitive. And everybody will know what you were and nobody will want you. Because being reprobate to the truth or being an apostate is the worst thing that can happen to you. It's the worst thing. Let me, let me say a few more things. I think it's time to eat lunch, isn't it? Is, is that right, Brother Butler? They, they're giving you the high side. What time is it? Thank you. <laughs> I want you to notice that. He's a good boy. <laughs> I want you to notice. Uh, let me call this man Steve. Uh, you know, amongst our young preachers, we've got some tremendous uh, people. And sometimes we get our eyes on some folks that can talk real big and uh, for, uh, fabricate. That's another word for lie. <laughs> And just tell you all kinds of things that never did happen. Or never will happen. And uh, uh, build castles of dreams that never come to pass. And just absolutely over-persuade young preachers. And they fall for that hook, line, and sinker. And they follow people like that. Mark a dumb, a fugitive, a vagabond, stigmatized. He'll tell you he's going to be thus and so. He'll be nothing. He's been set aside with a mark on him. God deals with him. You and I don't have to deal with him. We just walk on preaching the truth. We just walk on declaring the truth. We just hold on and saying this is the truth. And that voice behind us says, this is the way. Walk ye in it. Praise God. I want you to know something. The uh, picture that is given to us in the epistle of John is something you want to remember all the days of your life. And I bring it to you right now. And I want you to get it. If you have the Bible, turn to the book of uh, first epistle of John. And these are words that you should never forget. Little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard, this is 1 John 2.18. As you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. They were really not of us. And it wasn't difficult to see that they weren't. You don't have to over-exaggerate God. 
You don't have to lie to be in the kingdom of God. You don't have to tell things that are not so. Just stand up and tell what he did. And he'll do it again. That's the beautiful thing of preaching. He's not only the God of history, he's the God of today. He's not only the God of today, he's the God of tomorrow. You don't have to lie about him. Just stand up and say, he heals the sick. You don't even have to tell about uh, who was healed. But it's encouraging to know that someone was. You don't even have to tell that he can still fill the Holy Ghost. But it encourages others to know that people receive the Holy Ghost. You don't even have to tell about the blessings on your life. You can just lift him up and he'll bring it all to pass. Ah, I love this truth. You and I need to love this truth. We don't need the stigma. We don't need the mark. We don't need to be fugitives and vagabonds. I know where I live. I know who my God is. I know what the truth is. Nobody can shake it out of me. Nobody can lure it from me. No crowd is going to take it from me. Nobody can take the precious truth that has been centered in our lives. History records the failures of men. God records the failures of men. They were not of us because it wasn't in their heart. When it's in your heart, nobody can take it from you. I don't know, maybe you might be thinking in retrospect, but I've had relatives that went that way. Maybe you have too. It's heartbreaking. I've had friends that have gone that way. I'm disappointed. I've watched them. You can't reach them. There's no conciliation about them. They have gone into apostasy. No way to drag them back. Once you sell the truth, and the Proverbs advances, buy the truth and sell it now. Once you have it, there is no prize in this world, no reward in this world that's greater than the reward God will give you. Praise God. Let me close with this. Jesus said when he was saying to the disciples, you need to leave father, mother, brother, sister for my sake. He made it very personal. We have left all to follow you, Lord. In other words, Peter was saying, what next? He said, look, Simon Peter, you will not only get a hundredfold in this life, but you'll get life eternal. Buy the truth and sell it not. Don't worry about the rewards here. They're automatic. The people that live through the lean days and stay strong in the lean days live to receive the rewards when God begins to open doors that no man can shut. And when you get there, friend, you're sitting on the seat of truth 
and God glorifies truth. Our fear and what we must be careful of is that we don't allow ourselves to think we did it. We didn't do it. Truth did it. God did it. And we need to 